Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. How are you today? What a, what a glorious day. Thank you for the music so much. Well, how are you? Yeah, thank you for the music. It really is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. This is, what a day. What a day. This is a the most wonderful of all days. We get to study the Word of God. We get to be with each other. Thank you so much for coming and, and, and worshiping with us this morning. This is a, you've come at a real special time. We are in a, the book of Acts, and we are in the third chapter. And I want you to turn with me, please. It is incredible. <clears throat> if, <clears throat> please excuse me. If there's a place that we could be, if there's a place, hi, Jimmy, if there's a place that we could be, um, if we could go back in time, I would have loved to have been at this moment in time when they healed this man who had been born lame. For 40-some years, this guy was laying in this place and begging alms and whatever it is that he did. And here comes Peter and John, and, and, and he's crying out for help, and, and, and he's not the only one, you know. They're, they're... I love you guys. I love you so much. He's not the only one there. There are a a number of people. And and so here he is crying out for help. What he wants is a morsel, something to get him through the day. It's a day-to-day life existence that this guy has had for 40 years. And so he's crying out for help. And and, and Peter and John, remember, they, they said to him, hey, look at us. You know, they wanted his attention. And he did, and they said, well, you know, silver and gold, we don't have. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, walk. Think about it. This guy's asking for this, and they want to give him, the Lord wants to give him that. And so he walks. But he doesn't just walk. He starts leaping over the place. This guy's a walking, jumping jack. He's, yeah, he's Bernadette. If Bernadette got healed, he's Bernadette. Well, even if she doesn't get healed, he's still Bernadette. She is a walking, jumping jack. This guy is a walking advertisement for Isaiah. Isaiah spoke of this guy. Oh, Isaiah didn't know who he was. But Isaiah spoke of him in I think the 43rd chapter, we'll take a look at it, just a moment. And I believe because he was the only one that particular day that we know or can read of that got healed, he got healed for a reason. Peter now is going to preach his second message. That's what I would have loved to have been there for. And I'll tell you why, because I've been studying this week, this particular message. It is incredible. It is Probably Peter, like anyone else that preaches, thought, ah, I could have done better the first time. You know, I I missed some things. And so he probably was at home, and if this ever happens again, he said, this is what I'm going to say, and that's what I'm going to say, because this is incredible. What he says in this message is, it's it's textbook. It should be studied in all seminaries. It it should be... uh, thought about when we consider how do we present the gospel. It is perhaps one of the most powerful messages that you and I will ever have the privilege of reading and studying. Which, which, by the way, 
this week was like a, a war zone for me trying to study this place. It wasn't so much that it was hard. It was so much that it was, how do you, how do you condense it? There's so much in it. There's so much that he is saying. How do you bring it in to where you can just simply say it without teaching it? And that is impossible for me. I'll be honest with you. But what Peter does is he does the same thing he did in the first message, which takes us back to chapter 1, verse 2. The Holy Spirit gave the guys orders. This is what we're to do. This is how you set up the church. This is how you present me. This is how you, you deal with the things that are, 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 are spiritual. He told them how to, to present themselves and what to do. And you'll note something very common in every lesson and every message that they give. They quote Scripture. They, uh, they make a call. This is probably most important. They make a call to repentance. They convict their listeners of sin. Not not like a lot of pulpits today where we kind of, you know, you're all right, don't worry about it, you're fine. No, no, no. Peter says, you know, you disowned him. You disowned, well, you're going to read it in a minute. You disowned the very king of kings. You disowned your Messiah. It's almost like he he would have gone to to John chapter 1 and verse, I think it's 11. When, when, when Jesus said, said he came into his own and those who were his own did not receive him. And that's, what, that's what Peter is saying. You, you disowned the very anointed one that was coming from God. He makes a call to repentance. And as in those days, the miracle was the key. Watch when we read. Watch how the people just gather around because of this miracle. They are... They are astonished. They are uh, amazed. What's going on here? And what they're thinking, think with them, if you would, with me. Think with Peter as he's speaking. Think with them as they're listening. They're thinking, oh my gosh, we missed him. We missed the Messiah. What do we do? And Peter is quick to say what every good preacher ought to say. There's not a sin that you've done that can't be forgiven. He still loves you. He still wants you a part of his family. With that introduction in mind, let's get to this great place in Scripture. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It's talking about the guy that was lame. Now he's healed. While he was clinging to Peter and John, look, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, that was a common greeting, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and and whom you know. 
And the faith which comes through him has given him, this, this man lame, this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. That's as far as we're going to go today. But let me read this next verse because it's key to, to all of this, but we're going to take a look at it next week. He makes a call for them in verse 19 to repent. Repent, therefore. In other words, there's still hope in your life. There's still hope for you. Repent, he says, and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he might send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you. What he is saying, and it gives me tingles, what he is saying, folks, is even though you've disowned him, even though you've, you've, you've treated him like dirt, he still wants to wipe away your sins. He still wants to give you forever a kingdom. That's just amazing to me. Now, what I want us to look at is just the, the complexities, no, the, the very essence of the name of Jesus Christ. Think with me along this route. Here the people are, and they rejected the Messiah. They said, no, he's not God. He's not the anointed one. We're going to wait for someone else. Miracle after miracle after miracle he did, and they rejected him. They killed him. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Now, now, the fellows that followed him, the fellows that were his key workers, are now doing the same thing he did. They're doing a miracle. And when the people look at them and they say, oh my gosh, what's going on here? When they look in wonderment, what was the first thing that Peter and the guys did? They said, hey, why are you looking at us? Do you think we did this? No, no, no. The one you killed, he's still working. He's still working. He's still alive. He's just using us. No wonder in chapter 4, verse 4, as we're going to see later on, 5,000 men, just men it says, the men numbered 5,000 who came to Christ that day. This message. You know, women are so much better than us guys. There must have been 15,000 people. They probably responded so much, unless they already have. And they've been home with their husbands and they've changed their lives. And the husbands say, man, I better straighten this thing all out. 5,000 people just men came to Christ through this message. It's textbook stuff. Let's study it. Let's pray first. Dear Father, please, with your grace, please open up our eyes and our hearts that we might behold the wonders of who you are. Let us be serious. Let us be very serious about our faith. Let us be passionate, Father, about our love for you. I think, Father, if we were we were very serious and we were very passionate Father. I think one day we would, we would see the benefits of, of all that we poured into our lives to, towards you instead of the things of this earth. 
things of folly, the things that people chase after. And like a song I heard once said, is that all there is? Is there not more? And Father, when we really come to know you and believe and trust in you through your son, we realize that is all there is. There need not be any more. And so please, Father, hide the one that gives the message. Let me, along with everyone here, marvel at what you did through Peter. Let's watch Peter at work in this message and see what a true, uh, true preaching lesson is really all about. Now, Father, please, use this time for your glory, not ours. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In, in Isaiah chapter 35, I said 43, that's, that's wrong. Look at 35, uh, it's up there on the, on the screen. Isn't that great? Ken, you, Wes, them, look at that. That's, that's pretty cool. In Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4, 5, and 6, Isaiah spoke at a moment quite like this. He says in verse 4, Say to those with an anxious heart, Take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but He will what? He will save you. He'll save you. Then He says, The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. The lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. You see, Jesus did all of that, folks. Back to Acts chapter 3. He did all of that and more. He preached salvation. He gave life to the dead. He excited the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He, he now, in the name of Jesus Christ alone, not being there, not really being in their presence with them, He now heals a man who was lame from his mother's womb, as it said in verse 2 of chapter 3. This man now, as it says in verse 8, as we just read or said a little while ago, is now leaping, jumping for joy like a deer. And he is praising God for everyone to see that is there at that temple. As I already mentioned, this guy is a walking, jumping jack. He is walking and leaping and praising God. But more importantly, what he is doing is confirming what Isaiah said concerning the coming Messiah. Everyone that went to the temple to pray, and there were thousands, as we've learned, maybe more, maybe not quite that many, because with all the excitement, it said everyone then started coming. It just started, people just started coming like a, um, I don't know, like, like what is the saying, moths to a fire or something. They were just gathering around this place. They were coming. The word was spreading like crazy. And they were marveling, wondering and amazement, it says in verse 10. Immediately, they must have thought, think with them for just a moment, could this actually be the beginning of the kingdom that we have been told about from Scripture? Our parents have told us. Could this be the kingdom that that Jesus Christ spoke of before His death? He was crucified, but the word out in the streets is He rose from the dead. He was crucified, But the word out on the street is he ascended into heaven. Some of them saw him go up into the heavens itself. Could he have been, could he truly have been the Messiah? They might have been wondering. Because if he is, if he is, 
then he is the long-awaited anointed one, and we missed him. Not only did we miss him, but we were probably part and parcel of those who were there when, 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 uh, 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 when, when it was cried out, what should I do with this man? And they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. So the question that must have been running wild through the street was, what's happening? And so Peter, not missing a beat, watching all these people come, said, whoa, this is God's anointed time for me. And he addresses the crowd, as we read in verses 11 and 12. And he does much the same as he did in the first sermon. And that is, he makes a call to repentance, as we read in verse 19. He did that in chapter 2, verse 38. He again uses scripture just as he did in the first message he gave. And again, it is the miracle, the miracle that draws the people and verifies the word of truth. You know what? It's, It's hard, if you look at this, and you look at the other side of the coin of Peter, it's hard to imagine this is the same guy that denied our Lord three times in the garden. I mean, that was, a, a, a as it, the scripture tells us, it was a, a young courtyard woman, girl, that asked him, you're one of them, you're one of his, aren't you? And he said, no, 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 I don't know him. Never met him. Now Peter is standing before a potentially hostile crowd. I mean, they killed Jesus, did they not? And he is powerfully, I mean folks, powerfully claiming that in the name of Jesus Christ and in his name alone, this man was healed. And on top of that, on top of that, he is accusing them of being part of his death. Peter describes that faith in Christ alone, in his name alone, look at verse 19. We won't get to, as I said to you, until next week. Repent, return, so that your sins might be wiped away. In order that you might be refreshed. He is telling them that they have the same hope that anyone has. They have hope in Christ. The name of Jesus is critical to this message. Not my message, to the message that Peter gave. But notice what Peter calls our Lord. Each statement he makes of Jesus Christ is a, a ver- is a validation of him being the Messiah. He calls him in verse 13, his, meaning God's, his servant, Jesus. That should have rang a chord with everyone there. I'll show you why in a moment. In verse 14, he calls him the Holy and righteous one, you disowned. In verse 15, he says, you put to death the prince of life. That rendering, I'll tell you ahead of time, we'll say it again when we get to it. That rendering, the prince of life, means he is the originator. He is the one who began everything. He is the originator of life. He is the one that has given you life, Peter is saying. And you put him to death. He says in verse 16 that all of faith comes through him. And in verse 18, he then calls him the Christ. In other words, the anointed one. That's not the only use 
of names for our Lord. And his name is critical to your life and my, my life and our walk with Jesus Christ. I want to take us through a little bit of a Bible study. Look at John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. You and I, because of the name of Jesus Christ, are now children of God. In John chapter 1, as I've already quoted to you, it says, He came, Jesus came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. But, it says in verse 12, As many as received Him, that them to them He gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who do what? Who believe in what? In His name. I want you to notice something over and over again. We could do a study on in His name and it would just render out the most amazing of promises. We become children of God because belief in His name. That means in His character, in the very essence of who He is. What is His name? It means everything of who He is. Look at Acts now, chapter 4. Because in the name of Jesus Christ... It's dead end. There's no way around it. You cannot escape the fact that in His name, everything stops. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, There is salvation in no one else. That's dead end, folks. You cannot go elsewhere. There is salvation in no one else. That's, that in and of itself is plenty to say. For those that say there are other ways, there are different ways to God. I mean, you Christians, you are so narrow-minded. You just say you've got to come to Christ. And if you don't come to Christ, you Christians say we're not believers. How do you dare tell me how I'm to worship? I'm not telling you God is. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by, and women by which you and I must be saved. There's no other name, folks. You can search high and low. You can go anywhere you want to. Go ahead. Make an exercise. No, I, I'm not going to ask you to do that. But, uh, you know, make an exercise of all studying all the different religions and all the different cults and isms and all of these spirituality. And when you get down to it, Jesus says, God says, there's no other name. There's no other way for salvation. You want to spend time with me in heaven, in eternity? You better come through my son. Because there is no other name given amongst people by which you and I must be saved. Now, either that's true or it's not. Critical enough? Well, if not, look with me at Philippians chapter 2. One of my favorite places, considering the name of our Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, Paul writes, For this reason also, God... Uh, I'm sorry, I, got, I know where I'm going, so I already have it written down. I hear pages turning. I want you to read it. There's something special about reading it. And then, also, I don't know if you do this in your Bible or not. Some of us are brand new in our faith here. And you just perhaps purchased your own first Bible, and you think you, 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 it's holy, and it's, it's, all, it's, a, it's a Bible. It's, you can write in it, you can draw in it, you can make reminders in it, you, you can do things in your Bible that really uh, 
make it your own. And maybe some of you want to underline, uh, and some of you don't. Some of you uh, don't want to do it. That's fine. It, there's no right or wrong. But in my Bible, I have a lot of things that I underline and, and yellow. And it seems to me, somehow or another, I, I can remember where it is. That's why I, I, I'm holding on so gingerly to this Bible. Because um, I know sometimes where, like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I know where it is. I, it's on the right-hand side, right in the middle of my Bible. On this, and I can find it real fast. You can put me in another Bible. That might take me all day to find Ephesians 2, 8, 9 if it wasn't written. You know, I, I just... Uh, I know where certain things are because I've underlined it and it kind of makes sense to me. So Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 8 and 9, For this reason God highly exalted Him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed upon Him what? The name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee is going to bow. Whether you be in heaven or on earth, or under the earth. There are so many other places that we can look to talk about the blessings that we get because of His name and our belief and trust in His name. And so as you take a thought about this, Peter is nailing the very fact that they missed the Savior, they have missed the Anointed One, And what they are doing, what Peter is doing, what the apostles are doing now, is in his absence, they are doing these miracles in his name. Not because of who they are, but because of who he is. So, with that in mind, there had to be a dilemma amongst the people. Number one, they acknowledged that only God had the power to do miracles. And... Number two, they denied that Jesus Christ was God. Number three, now his followers, in his absence, is, are doing miracles in his name nonetheless. So they're left with no explanation that I can see. Right before their eyes is a man that was born lame. For more than 40 years, and now he's leaping, walking, jumping for joy, and praising God. And they don't know what to take of it. They're amazed. They're marveling. They're just in wonderment. What's going on here? Peter, seizing the moment, steps in and says, Why are you amazed? Look at verse 12 and 13 again. Why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us? Why do you? Are you going to give us credit? Don't do it, he says. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, let me say to you why he said this in my opinion. This is just my opinion right here. What, they, what he was doing is he was looking at the crowd. And any good speaker will look at the crowd and see if they're nodding off or whatever they're doing. And they are so bewildered that Peter, I believe, wants to bring them back to their senses. And what he does is he makes a statement which was, which was kind of common for everyone that was lived in Jerusalem in that day, whether they be a religious person or not, everyone knew of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He was the God. And so instead of having them whirling off into some space, he says, come on back, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that you know, the God of our fathers, 
He glorified his servant, Jesus. The one that you delivered up, again, he, I'm going to show you this more later, but he just levels them. You know, you go to seminaries today and they'd, they'd say, ooh, be careful how you treat your congregation. Don't upset them. Well, I bet Peter in the back row would say, I don't know about that. That's not what I heard from God himself. I heard we're supposed to tell them that they're sinners. From verses 13 to 18, all the names that Peter gives Jesus have messianic implications. What he did was he brought these names into their, into their thought process to see that Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah. Each name gives proof. Peter calls Jesus in verse 13 his servant Jesus, meaning God's servant could be also translated child, his child Jesus. And and Peter used this familiar description saying the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, which brought them, I think, right to their senses. What pointed that out, when he said that, pointed every... Every one of the Jewish people there, at least that were, were potentially some kind of religion background, knew that he was drawing them into God's covenant, God's promise for Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in saying that one simple statement, that the God of your fathers, Peter claims a link. Watch this. It's, it's absolutely brilliant preaching. He claims a link with the Old Testament prophets declaring that what he is presenting, what he is going to say to them is the same God that they preached with the same Messiah that they promised. God's servant, Jesus. Now, should they have been surprised? No. Look. Look at Isaiah. Hold your place here. Look at Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah again, chapter 42. What, um, Isaiah, if you go to the book of Psalms, you've already found Isaiah, didn't you, though? If you go to the book of Psalms, that's in the middle of the Old Testament, turn to the right, and you'll find Isaiah. It's a huge book. It's got a lot of uh, chapters, so you can find Isaiah chapter 42. In verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, which also, by the way, Matthew quoted in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. And so, watch. Isaiah, talking about the coming Messiah, the coming anointed one, says, Behold, God speaking, my servant. Oh, oh, there's that, that statement. My servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights, I've put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice to the nations. In other words, that means to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. Look now at at Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52, look at verse 13. This another is... A statement of the coming Messiah. Look, every every religious believing, every God-fearing Jew, every Jew that knew that he was the God, they were following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, knew Isaiah. They knew the promise of the coming one. They anticipated, they looked forward to the coming of the, of the, uh, of the Messiah all of their lives. 
just as if, if hopefully you and I are looking forward to the coming, the return of Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward to that at all? I do. Now, some, I'll give you, uh, granted, some weeks I, I, I wish he'd, I want, him, I want him to hold off. Things are going pretty good. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. There are other weeks I'm saying, what's going on up there? Come on, let's get out of here. I want out. But I look forward. I look greatly forward to our Lord coming back. And these people looked forward to the coming Messiah with the same, uh, hopefully the same um, fever, uh, what's the word, uh, zeal. That was the best one that I heard anyway. Best, they looked forward with the same zeal to the coming Messiah. And so in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 13, Behold, look, my servant, there it is again, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Look at verse 50, I mean chapter 53, which kind of connects itself with uh, chapter 52. He says, in, talking about the suffering Messiah that is coming in, in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 53, Who has believed our message? Whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before you like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form of majesty that we should look upon him, nor any appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised. He was forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one whom men hid their face and was despised. And we did not esteem him. He, he, it says, surely our griefs he himself bore. You know, they understood. Listen, they knew if they would have just listened that the coming Messiah was going to suffer. Our sorrows, it says in verse 4, he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, you and I have been healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has called the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he didn't even open his mouth. He, like a lamb, he was led to slaughter. Like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he didn't even open his mouth. Verse 10, this is just jumping ahead. You can read it all if you want later. The Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord was pleased to crush him? The Lord was pleased to crush him. putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. The Lord was pleased to, to put his son to death for you and for me, for us. Because there was no other way that you and I could spend an eternity with him unless his son did what was asked of him to do, and that is to go to the cross. And so it says in verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, my servant, will justify many. And so they knew better. They were forewarned. It made me think, that should be reason enough, if you want to please turn back to Acts chapter 3, but... It should be reason enough that you and I take heed studying and getting to know the Bible that is lying in your lap. You and I should take heed over the words that we are 
reading within Scripture. So that you and I might know truth too from error. You see, they should have known better. But when all this trouble is going to hit, whenever the Lord chooses to really make it kind of uh, fester and come to a head here in this nation in which we live, there's going to be so many quote-unquote Christians who've been told all of their lives, you're okay, don't worry, you're fine, you're fine. And then when the Antichrist comes, they're not going to know him. They're not going to know the difference from him from anyone else. And hopefully you and I will say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. Something's wrong. I wonder if it's me that's doing that. The word servant Jesus is the, the Hebrew name Jesus is, is Joshua. Greek, it's the Hebrew name for Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, You shall call his name Jesus because it is he who will save his people from their sins. In other words, what Peter is saying by calling him the servant Jesus is saying he is the one who is going to save you from your sins. Now, let's take a look again a little more closely at verses 13, 14, and 15. Look what Peter does. I want you to note this because this is the standard of preaching. He says... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, verse 13, the God of our fathers has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned. Verse 14, you disowned the Holy and Righteous One. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead of the, 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 the Messiah. And verse 15, you put to death the Prince of Life. Peter boldly confronts... The, his listeners with the horror of their sin. And that's not always taught nowadays from the pulpits in America. Listen, every single biblical preaching must follow Peter's example because God gave him the insight of how to do what he is to do. We must render us all guilty before God. We need to see our desperate need for a, sa a Savior. It's foundational to the very Word of God. Because only those of us who see ourselves as a sinner will one day recognize by the grace of God that we need a Savior. And once we recognize we need a Savior, then and there we'll realize our need and our overwhelming love for Jesus Christ. You and I need to know we're sinners. And that needs to be preached. Because until you see how desperate and how utterly, utterly desperate you are, how lost you are, you'll never really fall as deeply in love with Jesus Christ as you ought to. That needs to be said. Verse 14. It's just, there's probably just something in here, Fred. It's just a, sounds like a, huh, a fire alarm. <laughs> I'm hot. Uh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Verse 14 says, You disowned the holy and righteous one. Holy means to be separated to God. Catch this. Separated to God. 
Righteous, the Greek word for holy is H-A-G-I-O-S. The Greek word for righteous is D-I-K-A-I-O-S. It carries the idea of one being innocent. And so what Peter is saying, you put to death, you disown the one who was separated to God and without guilt. He is innocent. What he has done by claiming Jesus Christ as holy and righteous identifies him equal with God and being their Messiah. Again, it traces back to that. He says instead of choosing the holy and righteous one, the one who is everything, you chose a murderer, Barabbas. Even though Jesus Christ is called servant and the holy and righteous one, he is also seen in verse 15 as the Prince of Life. Man, that is, that is like, he just put a, a knife in the heart. The Greek word for Prince of Life is A-R-C-H-E-G-O-S. It means the one who originated, the one who is the pioneer, if you would, the one who is the very beginner of life. In John chapter 1, verse 1, I know I'm a little bit out of order, um, Not for you guys. You're too sharp for me. Thanks, Glenn. In John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... He was in the beginning with God, and all things... Watch this now. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being. He is life, and the life is the light of this world the very originator of life itself is Jesus Christ. You and I take a breath today. Every breath that we take today, everything that happens to you today has been given to us by our Savior. He has given you and me life. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus Christ came to a village where Mary and Martha were and their their brother Lazarus had just died. And Jesus said, you know, he'll rise again. No, she said to him, you know, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, which is a great statement of her faith and the realization of who Jesus was, that he could even stop death. And he says, yeah, your brother's going to rise again. And she says, I know. He will rise again in in the resurrection. And he said, Martha, I am. The resurrection. I am the life. And he says, the person who believes in me is going to live even if they die. He is the originator. He is the very essence of life. And the verse that all of you know, I'm sure, in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus says, I am the way, what? Truth and the... And you don't come to the Father except through me. Didn't stutter didn't study. Oh boy, is he narrow-minded. Would he not get along on these politically correct shows today, right? They would not know what to do with him. Oh boy, is he, uh, you know, they'd call him everything. And so Peter reminds them, he is the one that God raised from the dead. I want to close with this. If you believe nothing else about Jesus Christ, believe this. Remember, you know, every Easter I say this, and, and it always happens. I say on Easter to those that come that visit us that for us, at this church, Easter's every day. 
We believe in a risen Savior all the time. And so we celebrate, and I, I even tell the people this year, I remember, we celebrate Easter, and we shine, I wore a suit, we shine ourselves up for you, our guests. So you would see our Savior as, uh, as unencumbered as possible. But Easter is, Easter is true for us in this church every day. And if you don't believe anything else about Jesus Christ, believe this. He is risen from the dead. Look, if he was not risen from the dead, and if the Jewish leaders were able to produce a body, the first century church, it is very, in its very beginning, would have been stillborn. It would have had no life. They could have shot it down like any other religion. They're talking about a risen Savior. Here he is. If they could have produced the body, they would have, but they couldn't. And they couldn't deny it either. They tried to buy off some soldiers to deny it, but they couldn't deny it, folks. Therefore, the apostles' testimony of a risen Savior was undeniable that day as it is today. And so if you don't believe anything else, believe, rest assured that we are worshiping and loving a risen Savior who wants to give you life. Faith. Peter closes by saying, no, not closes, I'm, I'm closing right now. Faith. In Hebrews, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God must be preached. The Word of God must be preached. The very essence of what Peter has done must be preached. We cannot water down the gospel. We cannot soft pedal it. We've got to say it like it is. You, 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 me, we are sinners. We must be saved there is salvation in no other name. Until you desperately understand how desperately you need a Savior, you're never really going to fall in love with Him like I hope and pray we would all fall in love with Him. Every step you take today, every breath you take, ought to remind you that He died for you and He loves you, loves you just as you are. Even though those people in that day disowned him, traded him for a murderer. Peter says, you repent, you return to the Lord, he'll wipe away that sin. There's no sin that you and I have done that our Lord cannot forgive. Father, what a privilege to know you. And if there's someone here that doesn't, please, dear Father, please, let them talk to someone that is seated by them, maybe who brought them. Let them um, talk to any of us. We'd love for them to know the risen Savior. And for those of us who do know, do know you, Father, through your Son. May we, may we grasp everything about him that Peter has mentioned. May we grasp the very essence of who he is because, Father, I believe once we really grasp that, 
it will be very difficult for us to continue in sin. It would be very difficult, Father, for us not to love you so much. And that's my agenda, Father. I don't hide it from these dear people. I want them to fall in love with your son more than they do their life, more than we do anything. Because the more we fall in love with your son, the more we'll love our husbands, the more we'll love our wives, the more we'll love our parents, the more we'll love our children, the more we'll love each other. Let us fall deeply, silly in love with your son, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. By the way, I love you too. Have a great day. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next week.